welcome you today to our broadcast. Thank you very much for joining us. And we're going to continue with our study in Sin and Man. And we'll be on uh, the, the part two of the lesson, Man's Salvation. And we want to thank you for joining us today. We appreciate uh, everyone being faithful. And, and we don't want to have any further delay in this. So we're going to open up with a word of prayer. And then we'll get right into our study. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, for your blessings, all your love, your grace, your mercy that you show upon each and every one of us. Father, forgive us of our sins where we failed you. Father, be with us now as we study your word and we, we open the, the lessons in this book. And we pray that you will be with us, open our hearts and minds to receive uh, the message. And Father, we thank you for all that you do. And I pray that if anyone doesn't know Jesus, today will be the day they would make the commitment of their salvation and give their lives to Jesus Christ and believe on him. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Trinity in salvation. Now we discussed last time the salvation. We've already said several times it's a work of God. And within him is the Godhead of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now this uh, Holy Trinity is actually a study within itself and it's uh, quite quite large it, it involves a lot of scripture and we're going to just say that uh, the Lord Jesus was with God in the very beginning he was God and he's God in the flesh is Jesus Christ and I know that sounds maybe it sounds complicated but that's the way God designed it so even though the Bible does not directly speak of a trinity it is affirmed and understood by believers to be uh, all in the scriptures and especially in salvation. Salvation is the work of one God, but is accomplished in three persons. A perfect example of the Trinity was in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he <clears throat> prayed... The heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form uh, like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Okay, so we have Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove, and the voice being God the Father. So that makes the Trinity. Now here we have Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit coming down to him and the Father speaking from heaven. Therefore we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We just said that. And now we reflect back to the providence of God. Now remember we said the providence was the management that God does when he manages his creation through his, through his sovereign will to do as he pleases. And he manages it perfectly. He does it perfectly. There's no mistakes. He knew his salvation plan, even though others did not know it, and we still don't fully understand it. And his providence is demonstrated perfectly in the fact that the trinity of his Godhead acted independently, but were intact supernaturally. Okay, Jesus was a sacrifice required for the correction of sin. The Holy Spirit was a power of God himself acting through the Son of the flesh, and later became the internal power of the church or the body of Christ. So God bought man back to himself through his beloved son who shed his holy blood 
on the cross. And he, Jesus, cleansed man and sanctified him for the new home in heaven. That's the reason that Paul tells us that no human flesh can come into heaven. This body that we're in must die and return to the earth, which is also sinful and cursed. It must return to the earth that it was. And the soul, because Jesus died for the soul, Jesus will take us to be with him in heaven because he died for our souls and our sinful body dies and goes back into the ground. And then we found in Second Peter, uh, he talks about uh, after the millennium and all that, uh, the thousand year millennium, that the earth and the, and the uh, universe will burn up and be done away and there'll be a new earth and a new heaven. And they will not be contaminated in no way, shape, or form with Satan's evil sin. Okay, so God the Father is the cause of our salvation. His election determines all that will be given to the individual, will be given because of Christ. The Father is the initiator, and he manifests his grace toward those he has chosen. So God the Son is, a, is the means of our salvation, which is to affirm that our salvation is in through the person and work of Jesus the Christ. It is the Son who humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. God the Holy Spirit causes salvation to become reality in the life. That is, he comes to the individual applying the uh, fullness of Christ to the individual, joining the individual to Christ, teaching the individual of Christ, and causing the individual to pursue Christ's likeness. It is proper to affirm that God the Father saves the sinner in the person and work of Christ through the work of God, the Spirit, in the life. The point is that the various aspects of the work of salvation are intrigually connected, intricately connected. The work is one, and it is the work of God. God the Father had to take on the physical form of man, which was Jesus in the flesh, so that he could become part of this or in, come into this sinful world and that he would sacrifice himself, his holy self, that he committed no sin to pay the sin debt to take everything back from Satan that Satan had stolen from Adam and Eve that originally came out of the creation. So God was Jesus and the Holy Spirit is God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us today because we believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and there's no other way that God accepts anybody's salvation or their forgiveness of sin except through the work that was done on the cross by Jesus Christ. There is an order in the operation of salvation. The work of salvation is the work of God. It is not the work of one of the persons more than the work of the other two. Together, the persons affect salvation. Therefore, it is proper to affirm, again, that the work is one, and it is the work of God. Paul teaches us in his, uh, in his uh, writings in the New Testament, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that we're, we're of one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of God, and that we have one Lord that, that, that assigns us ministries, which is Jesus Christ. He gives us a ministry, and God is the one that brings forth the growth. Okay, the process, the theological construct of which 
involves all of creation is indeed a dynamic process, but our salvation is much more than this. Our salvation is more than just a process. We must understand it is an isolated event performed by God using and involving the Trinity for man alone. No other creature in creation is saved and receives salvation from God like man does. Salvation is progressive. As man lives to complete God's will and he will progress to uh, his eternal state to be with God forevermore. But man's salvation is the process of God. Now God's process of salvation for man is past, present, and future. So number one is a past. We have the justification, which is salvation from the penalty of sin. It is proper to affirm that the believer has been saved. Paul states that by grace you have been saved, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. And past salvation speaks of, of the uh, initial work of God in the life of the sinner, which includes God's call through the gospel. It includes God's call through the gospel by the Holy Spirit, for us to receive salvation. So before salvation, we, as mankind, were spiritually dead. We were already condemned. We, we didn't ha have no choice in the matter. And God seen that, and he came and saved the whole world. So, But we have, through salvation, be regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit and into the spiritual life. Also, the believer is forgiven, reconciled, and adopted into the family of God. The Bible says that we are children of God. Now we need to understand, and I tell people all the time, that you need to separate the church from the rest of the, the Bible uh, people in, in the uh, Old Testament and just look at the church. The church is what we're talking about in this day and age of grace. We are not connected other than by serving the same God. We are the body of Christ. Uh, I think Psalms chapter 2, uh, to me, it tells me that we are the heathen or the Gentiles and that we are a reward or an inheritance to Christ for what he did okay so the church is a body of Christ the bride of Christ it is not to be uh, confused with the other saints in the Old Testament okay this entire process is affirmed on the person and the work of Christ by which salvation is secured for God's people Okay, the present, sanctification, which is uh, salvation from the power of sin. It is also correct to affirm that the believer is being saved. Though salvation is secured, it must be experienced. And the experience in the life of the believer from the point of his conscious identification with Christ until death or the day of the Lord, the present aspect of salvation is a process whereby the believer struggles to behave like the one he has uh, come to be so what it says is that when we accept Christ and we become uh, saved and he and uh, God's Holy Spirit's in us that we our goal is to be more like Jesus that we struggle to behave like the one he has come to be which is Jesus Christ so practice must manifest position now to the Philippians Paul writes this Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is, the uh, believer is to come uh, become what he is. Paul also says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
And that's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. As earlier, Paul assures them that he uh, who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6. Let me say this in this, uh, in uh, what we're talking about here in, in salvation. Let me say this. For all of you out there that have been convicted of your sins and came and accepted Jesus Christ, let me say this. You are secure in Jesus. You are not going to be perfect every day. You are not going to walk in glory every day. You're going to have ups, you're going to have downs, and you're going to have dead times, I call it. That's uh, times when I just don't know where the Spirit is. I can't feel it. I seek for it, but it's not there. And you're going to have those types of times. But in those times, we're supposed to reflect on the Scriptures. We're supposed to sing the hymns that we know. And we say, but whatever God elects to do uh, for whatever course of the events that we're in, that he is in his good pleasure that he's doing what he does. It's his pleasure to save us, and it's his way of how he's going to do it. And we need to accept it and say, Lord, I accept what you have for my life. And just let it put your trust in him and let him run everything and, and quit trying to take control of the reins, if you will, or the steering wheel, and just let God run everything the way he wants to. Now, it is true that we get out of fellowship with God and there's something going on in our life and the Holy Spirit tries to convict us. And when we say that we made, we made a commitment to Jesus and then all of a sudden we're going to, no, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to turn away from Jesus. God's not going to let you go. It depends on how much heartache and trouble that you have to go through in life to turn you back around. He uses suffering and troubles and pains and the, the, the tribulations of life to bring us back closer to him. That's how we do it. When we get down in the dumps, when we suffer some tribulation uh, type event or persecution, and we're brokenhearted and down, down on ourselves, who are we seeking to find? Nobody around us is going to help us. We have to seek God. That's what it's all about. So we seek out to God, and he comes to us, and he cleans us up, if you will, and he anoints us a little, and we go and we're a little bit higher up the, uh, as far as salvation is concerned than we were the time before because we've learned a valuable lesson. Okay, we have to stay focused. We have to ingest the words of Christ and keep them in us, in our living, in our heart, in our, in our life. His words are life. They're, they're supposed to be in us, and, and you know, we have to use and reflect on, on Christ all the time. So uh, point number three is called future. So the glorification, which is salvation from the presence of sin, the Christian affirms that the one who has been saved is being saved will ultimately and finally be saved. So we start out as accepting Christ and being saved. Now we learn through life's experiences and as we grow by, by studying the Word of God and our faith gets stronger and stronger. And the one who ha that we have been saved is being saved and we will ultimately and finally come to the completion of being saved. And it says, and Paul says in Romans, uh, now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed because we're growing God is preparing us for the day when we will be in his presence 
Even though the believer's eternity is secure, the believer is still not ready for eternity. He is neither fully sanctified, nor is he glorified. That is coming ahead. The process of salvation for the believer is headed for a climaxal ending, a time when all things will be made new. Salvation is to be affirmed that it is an eternal process. Eternal process. It has been forever in the mind of God. Man's salvation is guided and brought to fruition by the Holy Trinity, which is the threefold process, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Salvation has the determination of the Trinity in eternity before it became actually actuality for man in time for its initiation to its conclusion salvation is of god extending from god in eternity into time with its accomplishment and application to man and then taking man from time into eternity to be in the presence of god the salvation plan that god had was in eternity with him as he brought it through extending it into the uh, time and with this accomplishment it's applied to man and then it works with man through this uh, justification sanctification and glorification and it brings man from time into eternity to the presence of God now involved in the process of salvation is God and man and eternity and time God's in the eternity and we're in the time the whole division of man, as specified in Scripture, body, soul, and spirit, mind, understanding, heart, and strength, conclusively means that the whole man is saved. The salvation of God is complete and is for the complete and whole man. Now let's take a few moments and look at the order of salvation. Uh, the order of salvation must be carefully explained as to what is included and what is excluded. Salvation is a general sense speaks of the benefits that come to the believer in the experience of salvation and the order in which they are realized. God determined this entire matter of salvation before time in both its accomplishment and its application of how it would be brought to man and man had nothing to say or to add to this. We didn't have anything to say or do with God's salvation plan. It's something that he had uh, in, in before time and in, in eternity, and he brought it to us because it was his goodwill and his sovereignty to bring it to us. In Romans, Paul teaches in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, it says God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset, outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. Now the son, he's talking to Jesus Christ, stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what uh, his children should be, but should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis within himself, and then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Now I use the Message Bible for this verse because 
of the explanation of the verse. So although in principle, all these salvation benefits belong to the believer, the realization is that the development and growth in Christ is gradual. As said earlier at the beginning of this chapter, the blessings of salvation come to the believer when they come to believe in Jesus Christ. These blessings were determined before time, but are only applied in time. To know and trust Jesus Christ is to have it all, but the real realization of all this comes by degrees or increments. Other words, you don't accept Christ and all of a sudden become an authority on theology in the Bible. You, you learn through degrees and increments as your faith grows and God works with you, not in what you read and think you read, but through life's experiences that God shows you his mercy and grace and who he is. Now, while the things that uh, have been determined by God and his salvation are secured by Jesus Christ, some blessings come to the experience of the believer not only logically but reasonably by temporal or worldly things. Regeneration or spiritual renewal marks the beginning of the believer's experience in means of time. Glorification marks the beginning of the believer's experience of eternity. Though the believer possesses all things according to his election or choice, through experience he comes to the fullness of his possessions in a progressive manner. In a more general format, Paul, in the above passage from Romans, Paul states the following order. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. Now, proper reflection on the uh, salvation experience is more logical than worldly or temporal. The mind must reflect on the experience of salvation, and in doing so, some blessings will come and appear right away, while others are progressive and come through time. That's what we were saying earlier. As we grow in faith and we get closer to Lord God and we learn more about Him, the blessings will come later on. The fullness of salvation, or the completeness of it, is not affected by the order of mental thought. The thought process assists in understanding and grasping the fullness of salvation and all its complexity. It should be pointed out that the Holy Scriptures do not reflect any great interest in such a, a listing of order, maybe because it's impossible or because it's improper. But the application of God's salvation by the purchase of it by Jesus contains many different parts with all them interconnected and they cannot be neatly separated into some chronological order. So when looking at the list above from Romans, one must ask, was Paul creating a list or was he simply making a point? Now Paul meant that all of salvation is the doing of God and that his doing will be completed, period. Okay, God's going to complete his story, if you will, he's going to complete it. Salvation, the scriptures in the Bible, the prophecies that are told, they're going to be completed because it's, for, it's God's will that they be done. In this sense, the list becomes instructive. It may be that Paul was not creating a list or he was simply making a point, but whatever the matter was, uh, the chronological list was, 
in the sense the list becomes an instructive tool that we can instruct on on each one of the, the individual things. Now there are significant differences among different believers from different backgrounds and so forth. And we all know that but denominations and, and different ideas that people have about their salvation. An example of that might be does regeneration precede faith? Or does faith precede regeneration? The point to be made is a simple one. An order of events is in itself debatable. There are numerous theological implications for whatever order might be offered. Before the Reformation, an order of salvation was unknown. The discussion then went down, uh, went from Christ to the church. The doctrine of salvation was discussed under different headings. We must realize that attempts to formulate some sort of order for salvation and be understood the ways of God and to comprehend the manner in some small way of how God administers the blessings of salvation to the sinner is to be understood not about the sinner, but instead about the God of the sinner. Okay, it's not about the sinner, it's God who, who is uh, sanctifying the sinner, their salvation of the sinner. The emphasis is not on what man does in reappropriating the grace of God, but what God does in applying it. It's all about God, it's not about us. Let us just say with realization that any order of salvation is human, with human logic involved and probably erroneous. So let's look at the following suggestion. Okay, first of all, we just have God's election. Salvation and the individual who are to be saved have been e eternally in the mind of God, including all, or included are God's foreknowledge and predestination. Now the call of God, the initiative in the work of salvation is with God. It begins with him, not with man. God approaches man in grace. Man does not approach God on his own. God's grace is a gift of salvation to those who believe and do not deserve it. We do not deserve God's grace. Now union with Christ all of the benefits that come to the sinner come through and because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, of what Jesus done on the cross. The believer is identified with Christ. This is so important and must be understood just this way. You can't change this. Now the regeneration, because of Jesus Christ and because of God's determination, the sinner who is dead spiritually is given spiritual life. He's regenerated. He is made alive to God because of Jesus. And that's what we always said before, that, G, that God sees Jesus in us. He doesn't see us, he sees Jesus in us. Now conversion, with God's grace providing ability to the sinner who now has life, turns from his sin through repentance and turns to God through faith. And our justification through the instrument of faith, the sinner is declared just, receiving the forgiveness of God, the righteousness of Christ, reconciliation to God, and adoption into the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God. Sanctification as a justified sinner becomes a lifelong process of dealing with the power of sin in the life and the responsibility to pursue holiness. Preservation and perseverance. Through life, God keeps his own and enables his own to continue until the end 
with a life of repentance and faith. The glorification is the end of salvation in the fact that all things will be made new. Man will receive a new body like Jesus. The appearance of salvation cannot be neatly separated for their connection to each other and their pre uh, penetration into each other is so profound that it is impossible to separate them any more than a person of the Trinity can be separated. Some of the blessings of salvation are purchased by Christ on the cross, while others are applied to the believer by the Holy Spirit. But while the various aspects of salvation cannot be separated, they can be distinguished, especially for the sake of discussion, comprehension, and teaching. That's what we said earlier about the teaching. Now, God's election. Now, let's uh, ask a question about the above title. What is God's election? God's election is that he is sovereign and free to rule as he likes with no chan uh, chance of interference. He is eternal. He always was and always will be. He is glorious or gracious. He is gracious and full of grace and love, and it is given to man. He is personal. He deals with uh, mankind personally, one-on-one, -on -one. and above all, he is a, he is a saving God he saves man through his grace and because of the work Jesus accomplished on the cross. God's foreknowledge and predestination. Now, I want people to understand that predestination is not what people think it is. God does not predestine who's going to go to, to hell and who's going to go to heaven. That's not the way that works. You have the free will to make a decision to, to believe in Jesus Christ or not. That's your free will. You have the bill. Every person on the world or in the world has the freedom to make that decision. Now, if you do elect to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are predestined to be like Jesus, God's son. And God is saying that when you believe in Jesus, he predestines you and works with you to make you like Jesus. And he will continue to work with you until his work is done. And then when you, when uh, we are, uh, when our bodies are resurrected and we receive the new body like Jesus, then we are glorified in that we have a body like Jesus and we're like Jesus. That, that process is complete and God will bring it to that completion. So predestination does not mean what a lot of people think it means. It means we're going to be predestined to be like Jesus. Okay, so we thank you now. This, uh, this look, it's almost time to close out again, and we want to uh, look next time at uh, Lesson 14 and the victory over sin. We have the victory over sin, and we want to look at that a little bit, and then we're going to continue on to the last one, which is uh, Lesson 15. It'll be our conclusion and our closing comments. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. I hope that this has been a blessing for you. And uh, if you don't know Jesus, I pray today would be the day that you would make that decision. Remember, Jesus done the work on the cross, not for himself, but for mankind. He did it to buy us back so that we could have eternity with God and with him. He says, where I am, there you shall be also. So until next time, we have our closing prayer, and may God richly bless each and every one of you. Now, Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, for the opportunity we have, Lord, to share your word with the audience, and we pray that if there's anyone that heard it today that didn't know Jesus, that 
your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sins. They would realize their need for Christ and for salvation and that it's uh, yours and yours alone and none of us had anything to do with it. It was yours from eternity past and you bring it to us in this time frame that we're in. I pray, Father, that everyone in the sound of my voice that you would uh, richly bless them, fill their needs. Until next time, we pray with you in Jesus' name. Amen.